Welcome to the Sunday Preaching Podcast of The Point Church, located in Perdido Key, Florida. We believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Uh, if you're guest with us today, my name is Joe. I'm the executive pastor here uh, at The Point, and I'm also the Worship leader at this campus. Now, I don't normally lead the songs and then turn right around and preach the sermon. Um, Today is a unique day in the life of our church, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I really felt like I I wanted to share from my heart today uh, as we begin this new season. So if you don't mind, uh, grab your Bible, your tablet, your phone, whatever you access the Word of God with, and go to Philippians chapter 4. And as you're going there, uh, before we get into the main text, I want to read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow along with me. Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The longer that I live, the more I come to understand the words of Solomon here. Um, Now, be honest with me. How many of y'all were thinking while I was reading that, for everything, turn, 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 there is a season. You bunch of hippies. <laughs> For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, there's a song from 1965 by the birds called Turn, 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 and it quotes this passage of Scripture. It's actually a really good song. I look it up on YouTube after church, not right now, okay? <laughs> I just about sang all I knew of it except for uh, that. Uh, Yeah, but look it up on YouTube. It's the birds, B-Y-R-D-S, the birds. Turn, turn, turn is the name of the song. So anyhow, as I get older, I'm understanding these verses more and more, that life, it it goes in seasons. There are seasons of, of joy, and there are seasons of sadness. There are seasons of victory, and there are seasons of defeat. There are seasons when the path ahead is crystal clear, And then there are seasons where we have uncertainty. So obviously, for our church right now, we're entering into a season where there's a little bit of uncertainty. Again, if you're a guest with us today or you you haven't heard yet, our senior pastor uh, for the last almost 20 years preached his his last sermon here last Sunday. God has called him to a new ministry assignment. And while we are sad to see him go, This morning, driving in, my my heart was aching a little bit. Um, We're also rejoicing with him and his family in this new, exciting season for them as they start this new ministry. But for us, 
it leaves a void. So we have experienced comfort and stability here at our church for many years now. And I hope you know how unique that is. I mentioned this last week at the end of the service. There are a lot of churches that spend their entire existence cycling through pastors every three and four years. And that has not been the history here at the Point Church. Um, I was talking with Ricky Lightkep last week. Ricky is one of our former deacons who went over to uh, help plant our Alberta campus, which became the Alberta Church back in January. It's its own autonomous thing now. And he said that the Point Church, Point Baptist Church, has not assembled a pastor search team since 1995. Almost 30 years of not having to have a search team. When Pastor Wallace resigned, uh, Pastor Tim was already on staff as the associate pastor, and he seamlessly transitioned to being the senior pastor. So this is relatively uncharted waters for us here at our church. So I know that uh, our staff and myself, we've experienced a, a pretty pretty good roller coaster of emotions the last several weeks, and I know a lot of y'all have as well. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve our loss in this. Ecclesiastes just told us that there's a time for that, right? So I certainly don't want to minimize or ignore the pain of this, but full transparency, and I said this last Sunday, this just feels weird. Can I give an example of how it feels weird? Y'all want to hear this? <laughs> First thing this morning when I came here. So I get here pretty early on Sunday mornings to kind of make sure everything's set up, the stage looks good, make sure nothing's happened in here. So I got here this morning uh, kind of early, uh, about 6.30 or so, and Mitch is already here doing some stuff. But I, uh, I came in here and I walked in. And so for, gosh, for years now, Pastor Tim comes here in here during the week, and he works on this sermon. Usually Fridays, it's kind of quiet. The office is closed. So he'll come in here, and he'll, he'll kind of do his thing. He always has a cup of coffee. So I come in here early on Sunday mornings, and I find a cup, a coffee mug, in just the weirdest places. So I'm going to go ahead and confess this, and he told me he would watch this service, so I'm going to confess something he don't even know about, maybe. Uh, so I come in here on Sunday mornings early, and I come and I see his coffee mug, and I'm like, that gum, man. Put your coffee cup up. Put it, put it somewhere like here, the piano, that's not where it goes. So, I, you know, for years I have come in here Sunday morning and in a spirit of being a Pharisee, I get, his, I get his coffee mug and I go and I put it back in his office. Sometimes right in the middle of his desk. But when he moved out of here, there, he probably had to get a U-Haul dedicated just to coffee mugs. They were back there. So I come in first thing this morning, I'm, I talk, I'm talking to Mitch, I walk in here, and I'll be doggone. Come in, and I left a cup sitting right there the weekend. So that's not as easy as it looks to clean up after yourself. So I, had, I told Mitch, I said, I'm a Pharisee and a hypocrite, and I need to tell Tim I'm sorry. But yeah, Pastor Tim said this last week. He said, this is not his church. This is not my church. It's not even your church. This is Christ's church. And Jesus said that he would build his church. And the very gates of hell itself will not stand against it. Now, I'm believing that today, y'all. I'm trusting that. We still have a mission and a purpose here. And by God's grace, we're going to move forward. We're going to keep preaching the word. We're going to keep praising and worshiping King Jesus. We're going to continue being people of prayer. And we're going to continue our pursuit 
of fulfilling the great commission of going and making disciples in this community. Our mission is loving people to the point of life of Jesus Christ. Tim said this last week, Jesus is the center of everything that we do. He has to be, or we'll drift off course. I don't want to drift off course. And I hope that's your desire too. I want to be found faithful. And I know you want to be found faithful as a church. So, today, let's look, about, look at how we can continue that and how we can achieve that. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, let's get a little context here. Our teaching team is going to be starting a series in the book of Philippians starting next Sunday. So I don't want to steal anybody's thunder about giving you too much background on the Apostle Paul and his relationship with the Philippians. So I'll let our other pastors do that start next week. But for today, I think it's important for us to remember and recognize that Paul is most likely writing this from a Roman jail. The overwhelming belief of Bible scholars is that he's writing this letter from Rome. So let's get the picture. The guy that's in prison is writing to the free people in Philippi for them to rejoice always, to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, how in the world would somebody in his position be able to say that? And he says it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He says it twice on purpose. He knew that it's not always easy to rejoice. In fact, his usage of this particular Greek word for this verb, rejoice, it paints the picture of, of people being in a continual habit of rejoicing. So obviously, all circumstances don't call for rejoicing necessarily. We just read in Ecclesiastes that some seasons evoke certain emotions. But when we talk about rejoicing or joy, that's not the same as happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. And happiness can easily be swayed by our circumstances. So I ain't happy that Pastor Tim left. But I can rejoice because I know he's following God's will. I'm not always happy about the choices my kids make. But I can rejoice that God has given us two amazing kids to shepherd and disciple. I'm not always happy when my wife points out one of my many flaws. I know, it's hard to believe I have any. <laughs> but I'm thankful for that sanctifying voice that God has allowed to be in my life all these years. I can rejoice in that. 
My dad is a pastor. He has this testimony. He was not happy when he got diagnosed with cancer at the age of 49. But he can rejoice in the fact that that has made a huge difference in the way that he can minister to people that have a cancer diagnosis and they're going through that. He can minister in a way that he never could have otherwise. He can rejoice in that. And I can look out over this room today in the faces of people that are precious to me, and I know that a lot of you have exhibited joy and rejoicing in the midst of some awful circumstances. The Apostle James writes it like this. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul, the same guy that wrote this letter to the Philippians, he said this in Romans chapter 8. He said, and we know that all things work out good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Paul's not delusional. He's he's not saying that, that life's not hard. But for him... I don't know of anybody in the Bible that suffered more for the sake of Christ than the Apostle Paul. In fact, when God called him, after God struck him down on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians, he's starting to get restored. And God tells Ananias in chapter 9 of Acts to go and help Paul in this restoration. Ananias is like, I ain't going to do that. That guy's mean. Have you heard what he does to Christians? And God tells Ananias, oh no, he works for me now. And he's about to find out how much he's going to suffer for my sake. So Paul goes into ministry with full disclosure. He knows that it's going to be rough. So what's the next thing that, that Paul tells the Philippians to do after his instructions for them to rejoice? Look at it there in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known. The Lord is at hand. The Greek word here for reasonableness can also be translated as gentle spirit. So he says, let your gentle spirit be known. Don't flip out. Don't be perceived as unstable in the face of chaos. Translators have have interpreted the word for reasonableness to mean a couple of things. I said gentle spirit, but also generosity, goodwill, friendliness, mercy, grace toward the faults of others. I'm going to go ahead and admit this. These are not my default responses when things don't go my way. Ask my family. I can be high-strung. I can be emotional. Um, one day uh, last year during football season, Weston, Caitlin uh, and Weston's little boy. Weston, is he in your service? There he is, all right. Weston was over at the house playing with Abram. And we were watching Alabama play football on TV. And uh, I'm loud. Everything I do is loud. Uh, the Alabama players were playing in such a way that evidently I was having trouble rejoicing in in that moment. Kind of happening this year a little bit too. Um, so I'm yelling at the TV pretty much like a psycho. My family's used to this. They pretty much just tune me out. But Weston says, why are you yelling at the TV? Do, do you think they can hear you? And I said, get out of my house. No, I didn't say that. He made a good point, though, out of the mouth of babes, right? I wasn't letting my reasonableness be known very well in that moment. And I sure wasn't exhibiting a gentle spirit. I promise you that. 
Now, obviously, that's a, a silly illustration, but it does show that as Christians, our response to circumstances should look differently than maybe the response of someone that's not a believer. Why? Well, because the Lord is at hand. Now, scholars interpret this, sometimes they interpret this meaning chronologically, meaning that, that the Lord, the second coming is, is, is close by. That, that's one way to look at it. It could also mean that our life is relatively short, so we'll soon be with the Lord. It can also be interpreted to mean that the, Lord at hand, the Lord's at hand means that the presence of the Lord is near us all the time. And I tend to think that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, let your reasonableness be known to those who are observing you. Exhibit a gentle spirit. Show some grace to somebody else. Be generous in the face of a need because God is near us. The Lord is near us. So we see many times in the Old Testament that the Lord promises His nearness. Deuteronomy, He says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I can rejoice and exhibit reasonableness because I haven't been hung out to dry or left alone in this life. The Lord is with me, and He's with you too if you're in Christ. Look at verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because the Lord is near, Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything. Worry is a sin. Did you know that? It is. It says to God, that I don't trust you that you're going to come through this time. Even though he's proven himself time and time again. Jesus taught his disciples like this concerning worry. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It is above our pay grade to worry and to stew in anxiety. So, what is our job? Well, Paul tells us there in verse 6. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So let's break that down. Prayer, supplication, requests. Paul is using those words there as synonyms. He's saying, tell God what you want. Tell God what you need. Make a petition to Him. 
Don't worry about stuff. Pray about stuff. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 for them to ask God for anything in his name, and he'll do it. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel stuff, like ask God for a Corvette, or ask God to give you a good parking spot at Walmart in Jesus' name and you'll get it. That's crazy. But Jesus gives a qualifier there. He says that whatever we ask for needs to bring glory to God. Does God bless us with good things, even nice things that we want? Yeah, of course, sometimes. But we're supposed to glorify God in those things, not be selfish, spoiled kids. So here's, here's how James says it. James says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourselves in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. There is abundant biblical evidence that if we're in the right kind of relationship with God and have a proper view of God, that we're not going to see Him as some kind of cosmic vending machine. No. We're going to ask for things that align with His Word and with His will. So Paul says there in verse 6, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So why does he say to include thanksgiving in a prayer of supplication and petition? Because God's track record is perfect. Before we worry and ask for something in a panic, we need to acknowledge His Lordship and His sovereignty. We need to thank Him for what He's already done. A large part of Old Testament Jewish worship was recounting the mighty acts of God throughout their history. That, that's, that's the point of, of them observing the Passover, and it still is. And that carried over into our Christian worship historically as well. Uh, that's part of the reason why we partake in communion frequently here. We did it last week. Some, some churches do it every single Sunday. But the reason we do that is to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and to do that with gratitude. In other Christian traditions, they refer to the Lord's Supper and communion as the Eucharist. You ever heard that word, Eucharist? It just means thanksgiving. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. So being thankful, it also shows that we trust in God's provision. So every night in my family, when we pray together, we use the Acts model of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So when it gets to the T, the thanksgiving part, I usually pray a prayer something like this. And God, we thank you for all your blessings on us. We thank you for how you provide for us. We thank you for our house. We thank you for our cars. We thank you for the jobs that we have. We thank you for health. We thank you for the very lung, the very air that's in our lungs, in our lungs too, but the very air that's in our lungs. And then I say, God, we know that everything we have is because you give it to us. And we acknowledge that and we give you all the credit. And then I usually go and I'll pray for some specific things uh, that I'm thankful for that day. But I want it to be ingrained in my kids to understand that God is the one that provides for our needs. Not me, not their mom, but God. So before we ask for anything new, I want to thank Him for what He's already done for us. Because His record is impeccable. 
Because we can trust Him. God's people ought to be a thankful people always. Not just one time a year accompanied by turkey, pumpkin pie, and football. Right? Look at verse 7. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, by rejoicing in the Lord in every circumstance and praying with the spirit of gratitude and acknowledged dependency, Paul tells the Philippians and us that what follows this kind of posture before the Lord is peace. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It does not make sense for Paul to have peace while he's writing this. He's in jail. It doesn't make sense for us to be at peace right now as a church. Our pastor, for nearly two decades, just left us. It doesn't make sense to have peace when you get some test results back. It doesn't make sense to have peace when somebody you love so much passes away. It doesn't make sense to have peace when all you've hoped for, worked for, and dreamed of doesn't work out the way that you think that it should have. But Paul says here that this peace that comes from God, it surpasses our human understanding. The prophet Isaiah wrote, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. You have this peace because the Lord is near to us. We have the Holy Spirit of God. As Christians, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. I was reading this week in the book of Acts as part of our F260 reading plan. Um, we were in the first few chapters this week, and it's the narrative where Jesus has just ascended and to, back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit has just fell on the disciples. So these same guys that were scattered in fear just a few weeks before this, they're now boldly proclaiming the gospel and performing miracles in the name of Jesus. So I'm reading this, and I'm especially struck by the change in Peter. So Peter just lived loud, didn't he? He just lived loud. So when he messed up, it was usually pretty epic. But when he nailed it, he usually nailed it pretty good too, right? So how did he go from being this impetuous fisherman to a cussing, swearing Christ denier to the boldest apostle in the early days of the church, what was the difference? The Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, Peter and John, or chapter 4 of Acts, Peter and John, they get in big trouble with the Jewish religious leaders because they heal a crippled man in the name of Jesus. And the high priest gets on to Peter and John pretty good. And the chief priests, they're gathered, and they say, Stop preaching in this name. And I love Peter's response. I'm going to give you an Alabama paraphrase, okay? He said, guys, if you think it's better for us to obey you instead of God, y'all be the judge of that. As for us, I love this, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. And over and over again in the book of Acts, anything these guys do, you can look it up, it's prefaced with, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, they dot, dot, dot. They had no fear. Weeks prior, they were cowards. They scattered. 
And now they have no fear. They were willing to die for being witnesses of Christ. Peter would be killed for it. All the rest of them would be be martyred too, except John, who's with him here. Uh, John dies of old age, but it's only after a failed attempt to execute him. The peace of God that comes from the nearness of God, that comes from being in connection with God because of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guarded their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and made them fearless. So Paul gives the same encouragement to the Philippians. The Greek word here for for guard is a military term uh, that, that, that really describes soldiers on guard duty. So this would have been a very familiar picture for the people in Philippi. They would have had Roman soldiers stationed there in their town. So they would have known what he meant by the word that he used there. And then he says that it, it, the peace of God that surpasses understanding guards their hearts and minds. So it's really not making a, a distinction between their intellect and, and, their, and their emotions. He's just basically saying there that this peace of God guards your hearts and minds. What comes to us through Christ is a comfort for our entire inner being. So, living in the way that Paul instructs them in verses 4 through 7, it's not always easy. In fact, most of the Christian walk, it's a battle for our mind. Can y'all testify to that? Yeah, the Christian walk, it's a battle for our minds. I, I already kind of showed this this morning, but I am my own worst enemy. It's true. Adrian Rogers, the famous pastor from Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, when, uh, when preaching about uh, this fight for our minds, he said, if you want to have your mind right, read the Bible. It'll give you a checkup from the neck up, help you avoid stinking thinking, and eliminate hardening of the attitude. And it's true. The things that we let influence what we think and how we think drive so much of what we say and do especially as Christ followers in this fallen world. Look at verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you thinking about? Or let me rephrase that. What are we thinking about? Are we thinking on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy? Or are we consumed with the negative, the ugly, the sarcastic, the inappropriate? Sometimes... We hear and see things accidentally. We live in a digital world. I mean, there's something coming at you all the time through some kind of screen, right? So sometimes we see stuff that we don't really want to say. I wish that ad wouldn't come on or whatever. But then sometimes we marinate in and devour nonsense intentionally, on purpose. In the computer software world, there's, there's an acronym known as GIGO. And I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. But I have a hard time saying reasonableness too. I've had to say that a lot this morning. That is a really hard way. I have to like scrunch my nose up when I say it. Yeah, 
but GIGO. GIGO stands for, it stands for garbage in, garbage out. That doesn't just apply to computers. It applies to people too. It applies to us. It is human nature to gravitate toward the negative. I'll give you an example. So online, online influencers, they know they can get more clicks on their content by using negative words rather than positive ones. But there are studies on this. You can look it up. They make a lot of money by crafting negative phrases as titles for their articles and their blogs. And you've seen it. It's called clickbait. And they make a fortune on it. It's Christians. Let's don't live a life that's saturated in clickbait. Don't let the system of this world and this culture rob you of thinking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So let's bring this home to our church. So we're in a transition season, talking about seasons again. And the temptation is going to be for us to gravitate toward the negative. It just is. Somebody's going to like this preacher better than that preacher. You're going to hear things like, I like Joe. He's the best looking one. <laughs> or you hear things like, I like John. John's got great hair, and John does have great hair. <laughs> oh, you'll hear Mitch. Oh, yeah, Mitch, he's the one that won't shut up about the Georgia Bulldogs. Is he even in there? He is. Did they win yesterday? Oh, that's right. They beat my meatball alma mater. Yeah. Seriously, though, for a season, we're going to have multiple preachers in this pulpit. And I am begging you to fight to stay positive. Um, think and say things that reflect the adjectives there in verse 8. Things that are true and honorable, pure and lovely. We're going to have men that are called by God proclaiming the very word of God here. It's not a beauty contest. It's not a competition. It's not a job interview or an audition, except for maybe one guy at some point. But every guest speaker that comes in, they're not going to be the same. Some of them you're going to like. Some of them you won't. Some of them I'm going to like. And some we're never going to have back again. Hopefully, I'm not one of those. <laughs> but in every case, they're going to be preaching God's Word. And that's sacred. And it never returns void. Even if a preacher's presentation isn't exactly your cup of tea, we need to respect the man of God that's preaching the Word of God. Amen? Yeah, and I have no reason to think that we won't. But we're all human. And the temptation of preference, comparison, it's going to be inevitable. This is a matter of self-control. Paul writes about this a lot in his letters. Uh, we choose to think the right things. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We sing about it almost every Wednesday night with the kids. A spiritual person practices self-control. A spiritual person practices self-control. That largely in includes what we think and what we say. Paul finishes up this section here in verse 9. He says, What you have learned 
and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul lived out the example of Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And we should also be encouraged to live by these verses and to also model them to the folks that we have a discipling influence over, our kids and the people that we're helping along in this journey, our brothers and sisters. We should model this. So real quick, and I'm done. Put that up on the screen, Miss Lisa. So here are the takeaways from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. You can take a picture of this or write it down if you got time. But here's kind of the nutshell of this passage today. Paul told the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness or your gentle spirit be known. Don't be anxious, but pray and do that with gratitude when you're making your petitions. Let the peace of God guard your inner being. Think about good things. And practice what you know is right. And that's the challenge for us as a church as we walk through this next season. It's also how we as individuals ought to live our lives in this fallen world. 